This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today on the 83rd edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today is my special guest. I have Greg Lewis. Greg is, a, of course, a Husky running back legend, former NFL player. He's been a coma broadcaster for the Husky. Greg, Greg is now a YMCA director. Greg, can I give you a little Sports and Stuff trivia for a second? Absolutely. Let's see uh, <laughs> what, what I'm made of. Well, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't really involve you. Well, I guess it does kind of involve you. So this is my 83rd show, and I have now had two guests on a third time. And those two guests are yourself and Steve Kelly, the former Seattle Times sports columnist. And here's your connection, Greg, to Steve Kelly that you may very well be aware of. Back in 1987... When you made that big decision to attend the UW over Stanford, Steve wrote a column about your decision to go to the UW. And I was a sophomore at Roosevelt then. You were a senior at Ingram. Do you remember Steve writing that column? Oh, yeah. I think I still have a copy of that uh, article in one of my scrapbooks uh, at my mom's house. It was definitely a big decision. But at the time, uh, it was a little easier than it would be nowadays because Stanford football wasn't uh, playing so well. So... I always uh, grew up wanting to be a Husky, and my mom put a little pressure on me to go to Stanford, but in the end, uh, we were able to convince her to allow me to go to the University of Washington. The rest, as they say, is history. But yeah, I definitely remember the article uh, that Steve wrote. He interviewed me at Ingram High School, um, so it was a fun opportunity for him to come out to my school and get a little notoriety at the same time. Well, I just thought of that. Just a little fun little factoid that 33 years later, on sports and stuff, you and Steve Keller are the, are the two guests who have, who have appeared for a, th- a third time now, which is really cool. Well, Greg, I appreciate you doing another interview with me today. I I, I couldn't really hear your question at the end. No there, problems, so. Greg. I appreciate you doing another interview with me today. Oh, no no problem at all. I'm uh, uh, interested if, uh, you know, you guys are still interested in hearing from me. <laughs> this being my third time. I hope the folks aren't tired of hearing from me. But, no, I, I feel honored to be able to come on your show and we always have some really good topics to talk about, so I'm excited to dig into it. No doubt about it. Hey, did you watch that debate last night? What's the Greg Lewis take on it? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, someone did a meme and kind of, I think, explained it how I would uh, uh, agree. It looked like the two old gentlemen from the balcony on the Muppet show decided to <laughs> finally get some limelight. And that was probably about what I saw, two cranky old men arguing with each other and, you know, hurling insults and never really getting down into the topics of uh, of what could really help this country, you know, sort of recover from all the things that are going on right now. So um, what I took away is there wasn't a lot of substance to that debate. There was just a lot of, you know, uh, name calling and, and, and anger and almost spitefulness. So I, I think that... Um, Nobody won, obviously, in my opinion, and I think uh, we deserve better as a country. Greg, I'm laughing because your analogy of the two old judges from the Muppet Show, those are two characters. Yeah. I actually laugh with a bunch of my buddies about those guys, Greg, so I will, I will yeah. include you in the, in the sense of humor about those, those two old judges uh, from the Muppet Show. You know, here is my take on that debate last night. I think Biden may have nominally won the debate, um, or I guess his, the Democrats and, and his campaign did. I think Biden's performance is kind of analogous to to a pitcher who got a no decision. Is that a bad way of breaking it down? 
I, I, I can definitely see that. Um, you know, I think for me what I was hoping is that somebody would have come out of that debate having said something substantive that um, we could take and say, okay, here's a platform that we can build on as a nation to help us sort of escape from all of the things that are going on right now from, you know, the coronavirus crisis, um, all the things that are going on, the protests and demonstrations, the lack of justice that seems to rear its ugly head every so often in this country, um, and just some leadership. And I just didn't hear enough of that from anybody uh, for me to feel like uh, the debate uh, was a winner on either side. And no decision, I guess, could be, you know, a, a way to look at it. Uh, I, I would say a no decision in an extra inning game that ended in a tie because of a sloppy, nasty, ugly rain delay. <laughs> okay, that's that's uh, that that I, I hear what you're saying. Well, you know where my sentiments are. I, I'm not a big Donald Trump fan. You know that, but. So, Greg, what's what's new these days? I you, you had a long run at, at Como. What's going on with with uh, with that? Well, um, I've had you know the the, the 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 honor to serve as the Husky pregame uh, analyst for Como Radio for the last I don't know six years or so. And last year, I had an opportunity to um, actually start doing some of the color commentary for the Husky program, and uh, which I really enjoyed. Unfortunately, Como lost the bid for Husky Radio Broadcast this year to KJR. And so KJR is building out their own programming uh, with some of their own on-air personalities. So it looks like, at least for this year, I won't be doing a lot of Husky stuff. There's a small chance that, uh, again, I could do some color commentary uh, for a game here or there if Brock Hewitt, I'm sorry, Damon Hewitt, who uh, was going to retire but decided to come back for one more year, um, if he does have any conflicts, I uh, could potentially be called in to do that again. But it uh, looks like for this year, at least, uh, I'll be uh, one of the Huskies' biggest fans. Greg, I just hope we can figure out some way to keep you as part of the Husky football broadcasting team one way or another. That's my, yeah. uh, those are my uh, sentiments. Well, I appreciate that. I certainly do enjoy it, love it. It keeps me connected to the program and more than just the, the fan mode, which I, I like doing. And my Saturdays uh, have gotten used to, you know, doing a lot of pregame and, and postgame and prep work and getting to know the players and the coaches and stuff. So I, I definitely hope to be back sometime soon. Well, we all enjoy your commentaries, Greg. You've got a few texts from me over the years when you've done those, uh, those radio commentaries. So I, I, I hope you can continue doing it. So, Greg, this feels like a generation ago. You were last on my show back in August of 2019. I mean, it, it's just like, you know, B.C. and A.D. It's like pre-pandemic, <laughs> P.P., uh, post-pandemic, whatever you want to call it. It, it, it. It's just crazy when you think about how, how the world's changed. And I remember we talked about UW football for the 2019 season, and we you predicted they'd be like at least a Rose Bowl-type team. And they didn't have that great of a year. Mm-hmm. Um but I want to ask you about Chris Peterson, and he announced at the end of the 2019 season that he was was stepping down. And I want, Greg, you played at the UW, you've been a commentator, you worked at the university, you know that program so well. How do you evaluate Chris's six years at the UW? Will he be a Husky Hall of Fame member one day? Will he be a, a National College Football Hall of Fame member? Just give me your takes on, on those questions, but give a little evaluation of Chris Peterson's uh, six years at Washington. 
Sure. And let me just say, you know, I did predict that the Huskies would be a Rose Bowl caliber team last year. And keep in mind, the loss against Oregon and Cal and Utah all very easily could have been Husky wins. They were leading most of those games into the fourth quarter and had some defensive breakdowns near the end of the game that cost them. So um, they very well still could have been in a running if it weren't for just a few plays here or there. Sure. Um, Coach Peterson. Um, I think, one, you do have to just thank him for what he did for Husky football. Husky football had really, you know, taken a slow slide that turned into an avalanche uh, at some point under uh, Coach Willingham. And um, and then gradually Sarkeesian helped put the pieces back together. But Chris Peterson actually made then the Huskies cool again and culminating in his, I believe, third season. Uh, that the Huskies were playing in the national playoff in 2016 in the final four of football, as they call it, um, and, you know, jumped out to an early lead against an uh, overwhelming favorite in Alabama. So I think looking at it from that perspective, you have to think that he did a great job and Husky Nation owes him a great, great deal of gratitude for just making Husky football cool again. He hired some great coaches and now, um, I think uh, having the opportunity to have Coach Jimmy Lake take over as head coach, again, is some part of his legacy that he left behind. Uh, and hopefully the, the program is in really good, steady hands. And Jimmy Lake will be able to, with his energy and enthusiasm and love for the program, take it to uh, that at least the same level where Peterson had it humming at for a while. He also won uh, two Pac-10, or sorry, Pac-12 championships uh, regular season and and the um, uh, the Pac-10 12 championship game. So again, a lot of good stuff that Chris Peterson did for the program. He also elevated recruiting. I think our recruiting rankings over the last several years have been some of the highest that it's ever been uh, as a program. Making especially on the West Coast regionally, the Husky program as a destination for some of the top players. Uh, in this side of the uh, Mississippi River, and you know, even dipping into Texas, I know it's still west of the Mississippi, but dipping into uh, the fertile recruiting grounds of Texas here and there, and getting some big time players out of Utah, and of course California, and sort of returning some of the uh, panache to if you're a great player from Washington, you don't have to go out of state. A lot of our kids escape to Notre Dame and Stanford and some of those other places for years, and he made it cool for those guys to stay home again. So having said all those things, I would give him a, a grade of an A in what he did. Uh, I would say, you know, I wish it would have been a couple years longer, uh, maybe two, three more years. Sure. Here would have submitted him as a Husky all-time great Hall of Famer. And I'm not saying that he isn't, but I think that would have left no doubt uh, whatsoever. Uh, but when you look at him from his career, he's absolutely a college football Hall of Famer. I think his winning percentage is still in the top five all time Wow! Uh, for major college coaches. Uh, I think when he came here, he was like 96 and 12 all time, something crazy like that. And so he's been successful at two big time programs. Uh, and one, he turned into a big time program. And to have success at Washington again, get them back to conference championships getting them into the Final Four and making them a premium destination for West Coast football, I think, you know, he's definitely in consideration for a Husky Hall of Fame 
And the only reason that that might be questioned a little bit is just that his tenure wasn't extremely long. Was just six years. You know, Greg, I have a friend who is a big Husky Nation guy, big Husky, and he actually said to me several months ago, he thought the irony of Chris Peterson is he may have a better shot at getting in the college National Football Hall of Fame than the Pac-12 I'm sorry, there's the College Football Hall of Fame. There's also, I believe, the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame, and then there's the UW Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, mm-hmm. this gentleman thought that the irony of Chris Peterson is he may have a better shot getting in the College National Football Hall of Fame than the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame and the UW Hall of Fame. Do, do you buy that at all? Yeah, just because, of, like I said, the shortness of his tenure. Right. Um, I believe he only played in one Rose Bowl um, during his time, and so one time at the bowl game may not be enough to get you in. At least I know while he was here at Washington, there was only one appearance. And then uh, for the UW Hall of Fame, if if time and, and tenure is a part of the, the, the process in which someone is voted or graded, uh, then that might work against him. Uh, we have had some coaches, you know, who have had many, many more years uh, in the in the tower, as we used to call it, with Don James um, as a husband coach. So, from those standpoints, you know, I could definitely see that that might be a scenario, but he's definitely, in my opinion, a college football Hall of Fame coach. What he did at Boise State, a school that was not on the map for football, you know, really until um, he elevated them with some big wins and some big bowl games and, you know, some great seasons. And then coming to Washington and validating what he did there by getting to the Final Four with a Husky team that had fallen you know, kind of into some mediocrity. Um, says a lot about who he is as a coach. And then um, just this last year, I think it was announced that the University of Washington had the highest um, uh, academic index in the entire Division One football throughout the country, in the Power Five at least. And so not only did he win, but he won the right way and his kids graduated. And even those who aren't in the NFL, and, and there are a lot of them who are, uh, hopefully they're still having success in their lives because of their experience here in Washington and getting their college degrees. So um, I think when you look at it all together, he deserves to be in anybody's Hall of Fame. Great coach. I hope he makes them all. Um, Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, Greg Lewis, Husky legend. Greg, uh, you mentioned Jimmy Lake a minute ago. Are you uh, 100% supportive of the decision for the, of the University of Washington to hire uh Jimmy Lake is the uh, college football coach. Well, I absolutely know that Jimmy Lake has been a hot commodity across the country as both a defensive coordinator and a head coach. And so this opportunity was coming for him somewhere soon. And with as many people being, uh, you know, uh, bullish about him, you have to think that uh, he's definitely a qualified candidate. He's somebody that a lot of people believe can help their program and get the job done. And what better transition for us if we're going to lose Coach Lake, I, I'm sorry, Coach Peterson, to have someone who's already on the staff, who the kids already know, who've had a lot of success uh, with the defense over the last several years and keeping some continuity. And he was also able to keep, uh, salvage the recruiting class that had been put together, which was one of the best that the Huskies had had in a long time. I have no doubt that Jimmy has what it takes to be a good college head football coach. <clears throat> he has the passion, the energy. He has the um, <clears throat> knowledge. He's been a part of this program. He's well-respected in the Northwest, so recruiting to go well. 
and he's going to be a good head coach. Uh, it may take a year or two just to get his system in place and, you know, learn all the nuances, the things that are different from being a, a coordinator. But, you know, I'm obviously fully supportive of him uh, at the University of Washington. I think that it was a great decision if we lost Peterson to retain him. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the Jimmy Lake era looks like. I am too. I'm definitely rooting for Coach Lake. By the way, Greg, a little backup. Chris Peterson was a coach for six years at the University of Washington. Hey, that's a full U.S. Senate term. <laughs> if you look at it from that standpoint. Good point. <laughs> um, I mean, you can accomplish a lot in six years, and I really think you did. And I think the um, program is light years ahead of where it is when he left it than where it was when he came in. I just thought of that a second ago. I mean, six six years, uh, can can like you just said, a lot, lot can happen in six years. So, Greg, um, I want to get your take on this. You have a unique perspective as a broadcaster, former player, and so forth. So the Pac-10, it, I'm sorry, the Pac-12 is going to be doing, it looks like, a seven-game schedule beginning in early November. Every Pac-12 team will play five games in its own division plus a divisional crossover game prior to the December Conference Championship. And I believe the teams that don't qualify for the title game will play an additional conference game against the squad from the opposite division. So a seven-game season. Greg, do you like this format is my first question. My second question is, should the Pac-12 be even even be playing football during this uh, deadly pandemic? Ooh. Okay, the second part of that's a loaded question, and so I'll, I'll take that on second. <laughs> okay. um, I, you know, any football for a football fan, I think, is a, is a, a good plan. Uh, you're, you're dealing with circumstances you've never dealt before. You're put in a position that you have not been in time, and all those things are issues. So I think they're trying to come up with a plan <clears throat> that gives them the best opportunity to play a schedule, um, to give kids an opportunity to showcase themselves who might have a chance to be in the NFL and to build some school spirit and camaraderie and all of those things um, and at the same time try to keep your players safe. So I think <clears throat> just as a football fan, you have to be you know excited about whatever you're going to get at this point. You know, we're starting behind a lot of the other conferences, so they may have something that looks more normal than we do, but um, I think that that is something that, you know, as a football fan, you have to be excited about. The second part, now, I don't want anyone to think that I'm being political as I say this because this is really something, that, a thought that I come to even more recently, but with the pandemic at hand, I think this has kind of forced my thinking along these lines. Um, how is football, as I looked at it a little more closely, is, you know, set up to really, I don't know, if I, as an African-American uh, former student athlete, thinking about the way college football is ran and what it, how it truly benefits certain people, um, I would have to take a second look at whether or not I would be playing right now. If you think about it, sure. college football and basketball are majority African-American student athletes. They just are. Right. You know, I'm, I'm sure football is 65% more and basketball is probably, you know, high 70s, 80s, you know. And so, yeah, a lot of kids are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, neighborhoods who, you know, and not every kid that plays college football and basketball do, but a lot of them do. Let's just say a lot of them do. 
they're playing, they're not being paid, they're not receiving any compensation. You can say college degree or ability to go to college, and that's great. Uh, and nowadays, most of them are getting their degree. But, you know, you go back 20 years, you probably wouldn't say most. You'd say a lot, but not most. So here's a system where, <clears throat> frankly, the overwhelming majority of the coaches are, are Caucasian men. They just are. And so they're all becoming millionaires off of this system. Most of the administrators, college, uh, college administrators, uh, athletic departments are Caucasian men. So they're all becoming rich. And if you take football and basketball, which are the only revenue-producing sports out of athletic departments, the majority of the athletic departments are tennis and golf and swimming and soccer and sports that, you know, frankly, a lot of kids who are playing those sports come from privileged backgrounds, and they're not making any revenue. So college football and basketball are being forced to play these kids and endangering their health, potentially contracting COVID. So a bunch of people who don't look like them can become millionaires and other kids can get scholarships who come from privileged backgrounds. To me, that's a weird system, and I would really have to think about whether or not I'm going to be used in that manner. Because athletic departments will fail without football and basketball, but again, most of those athletes are black, they're unpaid, and they're pawns in the system that is making a lot of other people either rich or privileged. So I, I think that's something as, a, as an African-American student-athlete I would really have to think about. You sound kind of ambivalent, George, uh, Greg, about whether the Pac-12 should be playing football this fall. Am I, am I kind of extrapolating what you're saying correctly? No, I think what I'm saying is, is I know why the Pac-12 wants to play football, but if I was those student-athletes, I would be really reticent about risking my health, not knowing any long-term effects for a system that's you know, benefiting a lot of other people other than me. Sure. That's sure. what I'm saying. <laughs> and we've talked about the college pay issue before. I want to, we could get really deep into that issue, but yeah, these are tough questions. And, and I hear what you're saying. You got, you got school spirit considerations. You have players that want to perform, maybe get some NFL exposure. There's so many facets mm-hmm. to it, to this issue, by the way, Greg, exactly. you knew Don James, you played for him. You played for the late legendary coach and, uh, you have you have a, you've had a couple of great stories about your your uh, Don James years and your interactions with, uh, with with Coach James. Where do you think Don James would be, would be on uh, whether the Huskies should play during this coronavirus pandemic? I know we'll never know the answer, but give it a shot. <laughs> right, um, I think he's a football coach, and that's what he loved to do. But you saw when it came to um, the whole two years probation, the backdoor deal that was made with the Pac-12 or Pac-10 at the time between the UW president and athletic director and the conference that he was adamantly against that. He took a stand and stepped down when he certainly could have coached, you know, somewhere from three to five more years. So I tend to think that he would look at this objectively. He would sort of decide where he stood on it, which, you know, he's, definitely going to look at the players' best interests, not just the department. And I can't really come down and, and, and say what side he would have landed on. Sure. But I think if he felt like it wasn't the right thing to do, then he wouldn't have been you know, passive about it. He would have definitely um, been vocal. He would have made some sort of stand in, in one way, shape, or form. And he would have um, applied pressure or did what he felt like he needed to do 
in order to um, lead his program in the right direction, whether that was playing or not playing. Because like you mentioned, some of these kids are looking for an opportunity to, to perform for NFL, have a chance to go pro, uh, take care of their families and all of those things. And uh, that's a real consideration. But again, the health and the long-term impact and effects that this potentially could have on some of the student athletes is a concern. So uh, I would have to think that he would weigh all those things and then he would definitely be a vocal leader uh, and, you know, even pass vocal if that's what it took on what happened in this conference. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, the great, great football player and broadcaster Greg Lewis. What a fascinating answer, Greg. And looking back at where Don James would be today on this whole coronavirus pandemic, it, it, you know, those questions, where would Lincoln be today? Where would Martin Luther King be today? It's, you know, there's some interesting football questions. Where would Don James be today? So I, I think you gave a really interesting answer. Greg, speaking of, of um, college football players that want to play in the NFL, most of them do. Do you think this seven game Pac-12 season is going to affect scouting in different ways isn't it harder for the nfl to evaluate players with only a seven game season um maybe i think um you know when scouts are watching film on players uh they probably get a pretty early sense on whether or not this individual on film is what they're looking for you know they're still going to do the combines or or have some sort of way I'm sorry, testing players, whether they do a combine or not, to get the speed numbers and the strength numbers and all of that. But, you know, players on film usually give you a pretty good indication of who they are in a, you know, a relatively small sample size. Hmm. You know, I didn't, you know, there in my 24, probably 24 games of starting, I probably didn't look a whole lot different in any of those games as far as what skills I possess, my ability to make a guy miss, my ability to break a tackle, um, my ability to pass protect, to, you know, read a defensive coverage. Those things come out, you know, relatively easily uh, in a decent sample size. So I don't think you need, you know, 12 games, you know, in order for someone to see what a player's abilities are. You can discern that in seven games, definitely. So I think, them not being able to be there in person could have an impact to some degree. Um, but the scouts do use a lot of film study to dissect whether or not that player possesses the abilities that they need in their program. And I definitely believe seven games is more than enough time to do that. More than enough. Interesting. But great. There, there is the occasional athlete that's been called a gamer the man or mm-hmm. woman that just maybe not the greatest practice players, but they just seem to mm-hmm. go crazy when they play games. There, there is the occasional mm-hmm. player like that, though, right? Oh, of course, and, that, and, and I'm talking game film. You know, if, if you play seven games and you only play well in one of them, I wouldn't call you a gamer. I would say you got have one good game. You know, if you're a gamer, it's going to show up on that film in the over a span of seven games. So I think that is enough game film them to be able to evaluate uh, whether or not you're what they're looking for. Good feedback. Greg, got time for a couple more questions. Uh, Paul Schneiderman, again, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, Greg Lewis. Greg, there's been some talk, and I've heard some of the KGR 950 guys talk about this lately, about what's going to happen the future of the Pac-12. And I want to know where Greg Lewis is on this. Do you think the Pac-12 should expand? Should it stay the same? 
Would you support the idea of Washington leaving with, say, Oregon and USC and UCLA to another conference? Um, and how do you feel about the idea of Washington, Washington State possibly not being in the same athletic conference? I know I'm asking you a whole bunch of questions there, but g- give me your mm-hmm. take on the future of the Pac-12. Sure. Um, I'm hopeful that the Pac-12 will remain a strong conference um, that uh, can sustain being part of the Power Five and elevated status um, in areas that relate to success on the field, whether that's recruiting, notoriety, you know, viewership, you know, so that the pundits can see them play, all those kinds of things. Um, That's the hope. You know, that would be the best-case scenario. Um, But you can say that right now the Pac-12 has taken a hit in a lot of ways. Our television contracts have been – you know, very unfavorable. Uh, so revenues are, are down in the Pac-12 as opposed to some of the other conferences. Our viewership is down, especially by East Coast media, and all that stuff does make a difference when you start thinking about rankings and all of that. Now, you can go out on the field and win every game, and then it doesn't really matter. But the reality is, is if I'm in the Southeastern Conference or the Big 12, I can lose a game you know, and still be, uh, you know, considered or, or maybe even two. But the Pac-12 doesn't seem to have that luxury at this point. And recruiting is the lifeblood, you know, as, as they always say. Yeah, it's sort of about the X's and O's, but it's really about the Jimmy's and Joe's. So <laughs> the, the Hadn't heard that the, one, Greg. <laughs> yeah. The ability to impress 16, 17, 18-year-old kids is what sustains your program. And if they're – not looking at the Pac-12, and there's evidence of a lot of the guys from California who've been a big recruiting ground. We've seen kids right now. Washington has two of the, has three of the top ten football players in the country in the state of Washington. Two in the top five, and both of them are strongly considering going out of state right now. And that's you know a big blow, and not just out of state. They're considering going out of the Pac-12 footprint. And so that says something about um, where we might be as a conference, although those things do happen, you know, it just seems to be too regular. Um, So having said all of that, if the Pac-12 ended up not being the best place to sustain excellent football at the University of Washington because of, you know, bowl alliances, rankings, recruiting, and all of that, and they're – the health of the program depended on moving to another conference, maybe creating a super conference with the Big Ten or Big 12 or something like that. Whatever is going to benefit our program, you know, I would be for that in a, in a sense of it making sense. So all things are sort of changing and transforming. College athletics has transformed and changed. I mean, you remember the old Southwestern Athletic Conference? That's gone. That used to have Texas was in the Southwestern Athletic Conference. That conference no longer exists. So things do change. And if it had to change in order for our program to stay strong and healthy, then, you know, it is what it is. And we would have to explore all opportunities to make sure the University of Washington stayed a, a strong, a financially viable, um, nationally competitive football program. Would you feel bad, though, Greg? if we were no longer in the same conference with Washington State University? Um, I wouldn't necessarily feel bad for not being in a conference with them. I feel bad that the Pac-12 
10 slash 12 slash 8, all the names that has been, would, if it no longer existed, I would feel bad about that. But I do, I have seen other um, instances where teams who are in different conferences because they're geographically connected still play each and every year. So if we could have a scenario where the University of Washington and Washington State, although in different conferences, still had an annual game that they played every year, then I think that, you know, would suffice for me. Um, there's no joy every year in saying we won the Pac-12 and Washington State came in 12th, which is, you know, m- more likely than not uh, in a lot of scenarios and cases. So, yeah, I did just take a shot at Washington State <laughs> University. Um, I don't get a lot of joy out of saying that, but just the fact that we beat them is something that I think is more important uh, to Husky fans and would be important to Cougar fans if they ever beat us. Well, let's see what happens. I, I, I personally would like to see Washington, Washington State same, stay in the same conference. We'll have to see what happens. Well, Greg, this mm-hmm. might be my last question. And you've done broadcasting for many years. You know how sometimes you kind of get on a high horse where you keep asking the same question because you're so fascinated by the answers that you get? So I've asked this question to all sorts of guests. I'm going to ask it to you. Um, Dave Grosby answered Floyd Merriweather. Dave Sims answered Sandy Koufax. Um, Steve Rabel said Bill Russell. A whole bunch of other guests have answered with different names of athletes. Greg, if you could interview or have an extended conversation with one living sports figure, who would it be? Oh. So if you asked me this question five years ago, I would have said Muhammad Ali. And the reason that I'm going to choose a different athlete is the same reason why I probably would have chose Muhammad Ali back then because back then he was an athlete but he also used his platform and power as an athlete to talk about social issues and things that were going on in the country and he wasn't afraid to say them even though there would be direct injury to himself um, maybe even his you know family and he got a lot of flack you know people loved Muhammad Ali in the last 25 years of his life, but people forget about how much, how many people hated him in the, you know, first 30 years of his life. Oh, he was controversial, Um, no doubt. Yes. So today I would pick LeBron James because I think he's doing that same thing. He's using his power. He's using his voice, uh, not only just in social issues, but he's kind of changed the paradigm, even in professional basketball, where now the players have wrested some of the power away from the quote unquote, NBA organization and they get choice and he's been a part of that you know with all the stuff he did as part of the decision I know the the, the broadcast of the decision itself was looked upon negatively but it really started to turn the tide of basketball players having choice and voice and power and those sorts of things so I would like to you know kind of sit down with him and understand how did he you know get to that place where he understood that he was going to be making some of those risks and changes, but for the betterment of all. And what gives him the, the I guess, the, 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 the courage to stand up and say things. Even someone like Michael Jordan was reticent to, you know, make big public stands because it could hurt his brand. Why is he willing to lay it all on the line and, you know, push a narrative 
um, because it means so much to him. So I, I, I think today he would be the, the, the athlete that I would want to talk to. What a great answer. You're right. LeBron has, has been very progressive on issues and he's been outspoken and has had courage. And I, I will add him to that long list now I'm getting of all these different uh, fasting living athletes. Uh, Softy answered Tiger Woods. I mean, the list goes on. Percy Allen answered Mike Tyson. So no one had said LeBron James yet. So I'm I gra- glad to have LeBron's name added to the list. Well, Greg, I really appreciate doing this. We're going to be doing a, an extended YouTube version and a Rainer Avenue radio version of this interview. And I look forward to seeing you soon, my friend. And uh, thanks for uh, doing a telephonic interview today on Sports and Stuff. All right, Paul. Thanks for having me. I always appreciate you. You too. We'll be in touch. Thank you, Greg. Bye-bye.